Welcome to the Outer Realm with Michelle DeRoche and Amelia Pisano. Airing live on the United Public Radio Network, 105.3 FM in New Orleans. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Wednesday night segment of The Outer Realm. We are broadcasting live on the United Public Radio Network, UFO, Paranormal Radio Network, 105.3 and 107.7 FM from the beautiful city of New Orleans. We're fully sponsored by the amazing people over at Folgers Coffee who have been a part of our journey since the very beginning. So thank you, Folgers. We appreciate you so much. Also, big thank you to Dr. Snick, the sonic surgeon, a.k.a. Justin Snicker, for his contribution of his time, his music, and his voice for the intro that you've just heard. He's an award-winning composer of Halloween horror, sci-fi, and dark wave electronic music, which can be found on all of your favorite music platforms. Also, big thank you to Steve McGinnis, the artist behind the banners, the logos here at the show. Check him out on Facebook and Instagram. Also specializes in the horror genre and does fantastic commission pieces. So tonight we welcome James Shubsky. Yeah. Got it. Former volunteer search and rescue EMT, wildland firefighter and mountain guide, James Shubsky, will be discussing the wide array of paranormal activity in the Columbia River Gorge, which includes different cryptids, um, UFOs, portals, small humanoids, and, and of the such. But in order to communicate with him, you have to get into our chat rooms. And of course, there are seven and remember, when our guests are on, they can see your comments, but it's like, you know, seven lanes coming down into one. So we do our very best to get to everyone, but we have to go to the pace of the guest. So as we wait for him, let's find out what Bubbles has been up to. Oh, I like the word humanoids. So I like Human, I wrote it. Humanoids, yeah. Hello, be- Merry Christmas. <laughs> Could be anything, can you know. Be, and, and, <laughs> can you believe it's only a few days away? Yeah, I, know. I can by everybody on the road. That's <laughs> uh, by oh. the drivers. Almost being killed today was a great sign. Um, yeah, I I was starting to tell you how I had someone next to me and their lane ended, and it was like 80 yes. kilometers an hour. Yes, and he didn't slow down. I had to go into the opposite oncoming traffic's left-hand turn, their left-hand turn lane, right. to let him in, or he would have gone off into the ditch. And now when I look back, I'm thinking I should have let him go into the ditch. But anyways, <laughs> I was so angry. I actually threw uh, my phone. I went through with my phone out the thing and photographed his car while I gave him the beautiful finger from the mirror. But yeah. um, because you never know if there's scratches Hi, high on your vehicle, at least you have there. Wow, I mean, you have their thing, and I hope he got caught on all those many traffic cameras we have in this fine city. <laughs> you know what? It's pretty brutal. I watched it. Well, this was close to your neck of the woods. I was really pissed off. Yeah, well, people are people. It's every man for himself out there. We watched a white car this morning 
just zipping in and out of traffic at a, a high rate of speed, no signal, tight, tight, tight spots. I'm like, where police when you need them? Because that's how accidents happen in the highways. That's brutal. how you kill people. You kill yeah, other people this it way. It is brutal. Um, I really hope that next year begins on a different level of energy, a different frequency. Um, I know people are down and right. tight with finances, but right. always remember that Christmas isn't about what's under the tree, but who's around you. That's right. When you're grateful for who you have and who's around you. And when you start looking at it that way, you can enjoy it. Take a deep breath. Stop going with this madness and this rush and being nasty to people. People don't even say hello to each other anymore. It's oh, disgusting. It's out there right now. You also <laughs> friendly here. Hi, Maria. Merry Christmas. I know. Um, you know, like they, they just have to chill as the kids would say nowadays. Chill. I know. I know. Yeah. Yes. Oh, perfect, Ed. Yeah. Driving a weapon. Absolutely. Absolutely. And some of those people driving that weapon are 17. Let's not forget that. Uh, they don't have the reflexes that we do or the experience to get no. out of something and you can kill someone. I'm not saying them. I'm saying you could kill these teen these teenagers. And right. Um, right. Yeah. It, so it too, it just does. be careful. I mean, my daughter, one of her friend's brothers is in critical care in the hospital since early Sunday morning. It's not a phone call a parent wants to get. And he was hit head on critical condition. No, so. See. There's just so much, you know, I'm, I'm, I just see so much right now. Um, I don't get on social media often, but, um, Hey Tamara, but I'll tell you, it's, it's, there's so much just hatred and drama. And if I have to hear, <laughs> I won't get into some of the things I'm reading and seeing, but I'm just like, it's terrible. And I get it's a tough time of year for many people. It's a, it's a tough year for many people. <laughs> a tough, tough go of it, you know? And, um, but I just feel that, like, you know, how many times we say you can't help what happens, but you can help how you handle it. There's, there's no excuse so for that. Because you put out your, your, your anger or your shit showness or whatever it is you want to do. That's what you're drawing back towards you. And that's not what you want because then you end up in a vicious cycle that could get you into, you know, a deeper state of whatever it is. Oh, as yeah, as we were. And also <laughs> something that we talked about earlier, be careful who you lash that anger out to because you don't know who you're talking to. You don't know what state they're in and you don't know who they know. So like, just be careful with your words, please. I mm -hmm. I'm just seeing a lot of, a lot of dragon fire and snake tongues out there right now. And it, it's just, it's too much and it shouldn't be happening. Right. It shouldn't be happening. High vibes people. Yeah. Happy, let's read you know? that. Like right. let's bring in the new year with such joy and hope. I We've agree. got the big C behind us. Right. Let's right. bring it in. And our guest is here. So on that Yay. lovely High vibrational note. <laughs> Hi, James. <laughs> Hi, James. How, How are, are you? you? Can you hear me okay? We can. Yeah, we're good. You can. Can you hear us okay? Yep. Excellent. Uh, my uh, speaker working right. Yeah, no, it's yeah, you're good, good so you're far. Good. Yeah, you cut out for a minute, but you're back. All right. Awesome. So how are you? <laughs> I'm doing great yourself. We're good. We're good. But I have to tell you, been super excited about this segment because 
it's one of these um, locations that has a mix of like everything. And it's like, you just want to know everything. Cause I've researched places like this and the national parks are always just, they're a mix of back of everything. So, oh. but this is one that I have not researched. So mm -hmm. this is going to be all brand new um, for me. And I'm so excited. So I guess the, the best place to start, you'll find this is really laid back, very round table. Like, um, I need to know what brought you to this amazing place. Well, um, so, uh, I have been living in Washington state, uh, since about 1988, mostly up in the Seattle area. And, um, my wife <laughs> say again, I said, I've been there. It's beautiful. Love Seattle. And, yeah. 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 And um, so my wife's mother, uh, Margie, she had a couple of stores down in the Columbia River Gorge, and she passed away about three years ago. And oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, and so we had to make a decision about, you know, whether we wanted to move to the gorge and take over the family businesses. And uh, so we decided to do that. Uh, and I we had visited the gorge a couple of times, um, you know. Uh, we'll get into my background in a little bit, but um, of uh, so I've got a lot of outdoor adventure experience and this place is sort of heaven for a guy like me. And um, so one of the stores um, is Margie's Outdoor Store. It's uh, sort of a uh, outdoor adventure gear is one of the primary things we sell. But, uh, you know, we've got a mix of other things. And to me, um, the joy of the outdoors is sort of the magical experience you have. And so the way we sort of set up the store is that it has, you know, backpacks and climbing gear and also crystals and tarot cards and um, with the climbing kind of gear, down. just in case you want to take it with you up the mountain <laughs> or jump well, off the no. mountain <laughs> or across that damn bridge that just sits on the water. That scares the crap out of me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That bridge was not, I did not need to be told while we we're in the middle of it in traffic that this is actually floating on the water. I'm just like, what? <laughs> but anyways, beautiful right. state. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, and the gorge itself is just a as a magical kind of a place, and so I wanted to build a, an experience that people um, could go out into the wilderness and enjoy that that connection and that that kind of a thing. Well, right after like as soon as like we really started getting going with this outdoor gear part of the store, um, people started coming in and telling us all kinds of Sasquatch stories and UFO stories, and I found it fascinating. So I put up a big sign in the window and it said, file paranormal reports here. And I saw that on your website. I'm like, this is a genius. Seriously? That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I wasn't sure what we we're going to do with it, but it seemed, first of all, very, very interesting to me. And, um, and I set some parameters for the employees. I said, we are going to treat everyone who comes in with the utmost respect. Um, we're not going to nervously giggle at what they're talking about. Yeah, We're going to listen to their story, take in the data, ask intelligent follow-up questions and um, take them seriously. And, you know, in the beginning I figured, well, I'm sure some folks will come in and, you know, tell a tall tale. And I thought, what's the harm in that? You know, it's, uh, it's, it'd be, it's fun. Um, and we'll see how it goes. Well, in two years, it's not quite two years. We've had the paranormal program. We have had over 250 reports. 
And um, that is a huge, um, like we way over index compared to anywhere else uh, that I've ever heard of. And these reports um, range. So Sasquatch is big out here, always has been. In fact, Washington state has the highest number of Bigfoot reports per capita. Of any it's state like, it's like nation. Western Canada and they're just <clears throat> right over top. So I'm not they're surprised. Identical yeah. BC and, and Washington. They're identical. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and Washington state also has the highest number of UFO sightings per capita. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of, you know, we're sort of in the right place for it. Um, but uh, within that, there are two, um, counties in Washington state uh, that are in the gorge. It's uh, Klickitak County where my stores are and Skamania County where my house is. Right. And um, so Skamania County was the very first uh, government entity in the world that had Sasquatch protection legislation on the books. And really? all the way back in 1968, they passed legislation that said it is a felony to hunt and kill Bigfoot in Skamania County. Like California. I love that. Yeah. And uh, that law has been updated, amended over the years, but um, it's a real thing out here for the people who live here. Wow. So, like I said, we have had uh, numerous Sasquatch reports, uh, lots of UFO reports, lots of glowing orb reports. Um, we've uh, There's a couple of towns in the gorge that uh, are have a lot of ghost activity in them. Um, and there's... A lot of strange, like temporal anomalies and things like that. Um, and the most interesting one that uh, kind of took me by surprise was a creature we call the Clickitat ape cat. And this is an enormous black panther-like creature that some of the reports say it has a face that looks kind of like a monkey. And um, we've had over eighty reports of that creature alone. Really? And so, yeah. So. Huh. It's, and there's something uh, just, similar to that in the UK, right? Uh, that was the Beast of Bodmin Moor, uh, yeah. I think is what you might be referring to. And um, that seemed to be um, a smaller shaped cat, smaller size cat, and um, more along the lines of like a, oh, uh, like a jaguar. Or, um, right. Okay. Certainly not with, with a primate face by any means. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we'll get into all of these details. Like I yes. said, it's so you can imagine our store, like with 250 reports in two years, it's sort of like um, a new Scooby-Doo mystery walks through our door a couple <laughs> times a week. You know, you're a mystery I, I know. machine. You're so, driving um, a mystery machine. Van. Get ready. <laughs> wow. So it is. Um, so I want to say at the outset to me, like this is such a joyful and amazing, wondrous experience um, to be living in a place where all of the questions aren't answered is remarkable, you know, and to sort of be a ground zero for that is, yes. is really, really fun. It's exciting. Um, yeah. So it might help for your listeners to get a sense of like what the gorge is and where it's located and all that. Uh, that was the next on the list. <laughs> so take her away. Uh, can I just um, say something before you get into that really quickly? Sure. Thank you. There, you know, you have this law that no one can kill a Sasquatch. They have this in California, where depending on where you live, you call it Sasquatch or Bigfoot. In Canada, we tend to say Sasquatch more. Um, that's got to be based on some evidence that has been brought in, shot and killed, right? Uh, well, it, it originated because there were so many sightings out here that we um, were getting a lot of folks from 
out of the county coming in with high-powered rifles and um you know they had oh. you know full-on expeditions they were going to come and they were going to kill this thing that people were reporting on yeah and so part of the motivation was uh to protect the local citizens like we didn't want didn't want to get shot right right yeah. so um there's no to my knowledge there's no actual shooting recorded uh no creature has been well, that's not true. Well, there's you would a, never be told that, though. I mean, honestly. Yeah. You, we there wouldn't are some know. stories about a group of miners back in the 20s uh, that their whole cabin was attacked, but they were shooting at them, and it was kind of a wow. uh, a strange situation. But um, to get into the, the gorge, so Please. the Columbia River um, is the largest river in North and South America that flows into the Pacific Ocean. And... It uh, forms the border between southern Washington state and northern Oregon state. Um, and it's uh, the gorge itself is an area that's probably 80 miles long. Hmm. And uh, it runs directly through the Cascade Mountains. So the Cascade Mountains start up in British Columbia and they extend to um, northern California. And you may have heard like Mount Shasta is part of the Cascade. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, Mount Rainier, yes. Mount Hood, Mount Adams, Mount St. Helens. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. It's got many, many peaks that are over 10,000 feet. Right. And uh, just to give your listeners a sense of the size and scope. So this is a very rugged, mountainous wilderness area. And its size is roughly equivalent if you took the 10 smallest states in the United States and mushed them together. That's about the land area that we're talking about uh, for the Cascade Mountains. Wow. So these are dramatic, beautiful mountains, um, you know, and just like you'd imagine in the Pacific Northwest with, you know, uh, deep primeval forests. And the Columbia River uh, runs right through the middle of them. And it is the only sea level passage through the mountains. And so you can go literally from 30 feet above sea level to 3,000 feet in less than half a mile. And so it's a really unique and beautiful place. In fact, it is so beautiful, so jaw-droppingly beautiful here, that in the 1980s, Congress, uh, the U.S. Congress, in a bipartisan law, passed a brand new law that protected the gorge in a way that no other place had been protected before. Mm. It became a national scenic area. And so basically that means that we uh, have many of the protections that a national park has, but people are allowed to live here and have businesses here and, you know, go about their daily lives. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really extraordinary place. Um, there are over 90 named waterfalls in, <clears throat> on the Oregon side alone. And some of those waterfalls are over 600 feet tall. Wow. Um, on the west side of the mountains, it's a traditional Pacific Northwest rainforest, just like you would imagine, you know, moss on the trees and towering 120-foot Douglas firs. Um, but on the east side of the mountains, it's actually a high plains desert. And so there are no trees and you'll find like uh, these stunning desert um, uh, like mesas and buttes, you know, like the sort of flat top uh, cliff right. sides. Right. Um, there are over 600 known caves out here. And so the place just in terms like if you're into outdoor adventure, people mm. Paraglide, windsurf, rock climb. It's the gift that keeps climb. on giving, essentially. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is just whitewater rafting, mountain biking, hiking, you name it. It's it's pretty much all here. Right. And um, so the river sort of forms the core. 
And uh, the upper, like the sort of the northern limit is bounded by Mount Adams, uh, which is a tremendously famous UFO hotspot. It is. Um, and then uh, also Mount St. Helens, which, of course, uh, erupted in 1980. And do you and know then, that they hauled out some Bigfoot helicopters? Hauled I've out heard the tales. I've Bigfoot the tales. right in there? Yeah. 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 And, um, and then also uh, on the southern end, um, it's sort of bounded by Mount Hood, which is a very um, famous uh, big Sasquatch hotspot. Right. Right. So just in terms of um, natural beauty, it's hard to find a place that's that's more beautiful. And you know, you you drive around out here. My I drive, so I live sort of in the rainforest side where my house is, and I drive well, about twenty five minutes to the store. And it's like driving through paradise. I mean, uh, I go from basically the rainforest to the edge of the desert, and it's just stunning. So that's sort of the where we're located. We're about um, sixty miles east of Portland, Oregon. So that's our nearest big city. It's a beautiful area. It's and and it's all very um it's all very active all along yeah. there. Every place you've mentioned, you know, mm -hmm. I mean that yeah. you've had it within the field, people are very well aware of all of this incredible um activity. And you just seem to be right at the top of all that. It just makes its way downhill. Exactly. Um, but I have to ask you, it's like it's not considered a national park, but it, I mean, it's pretty much the size, you know, if not more when you like 80 miles, that's craziness. That's that's a lot mm -hmm. of that's a lot of space. Do you guys fall into any of the mysterious disappearances, much like mm -hmm. all of these missing 411 sort of? Um, yeah. Um, in fact, there's an area. So uh, the whole area is volcanically active. Um, right. And uh, there's, a, there's a spot uh, on many maps that's called the Big Lava Bed. Um, I refer to it as Broke Leg Barrows. Right. And it's a uh, like a lava flow that's the size of the island of Manhattan. So you know, Manhattan in, in New York. Um, and just to give you a sense like 1.7 million people live on the island of manhattan so and that's like how big of an area we're talking about basically 8000 years ago this uh, volcano erupted and 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 it sort of pushed this lava it filled a mountain valley and um the area is incredibly mysterious it's really difficult terrain um so uh i was a uh, us army infantry soldier uh, I was a wildland forest firefighter, uh, mountain guide, and um, a nationally certified search and rescue EMT. And so I have been professional land navigator since age 19. Wow. And um, this Broke Leg Barrows area is one of the most rugged, impassable areas that I have ever seen in my life. And you had asked about missing people. Well, an individual went missing there. Um, his name was Christopher Zetzuwitz, and mm -hmm. he went missing in uh, September of 2014. Very mysterious circumstances. Um, and uh, basically, he was out there with a buddy, and they were trying to find a cave in this lava bed. And um, they got separated maybe by 20 yards, no more than that. And then he vanished. Mm -hmm. And 
there was no yeah. trace of him ever found again. Um, there were hundreds of searchers, including the military. There was dogs and helicopters, thousands of man hours, and no trace of him was ever found. Hmm. Now, okay, can I just ask you a quick question? When sure. do they call military in for missing persons? Well, that's part of the mystery. This is um, so I I'm a member of a you know nationally recognized search and rescue team and. Mm -hmm. We will call on the military uh, for helicopter assets, um, but okay. it is very, very rare to yeah, call. Yeah, it's not common. I worked missing persons for over 10 years. It's not common to call in military. Usually no, military, it it's usually when there's fugitives on the run, not someone who's gone missing during a hike. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so that's part of the mystery. Um, and you'll, as we get into it, there's all kinds of strange government um activity yeah. in, in the area <laughs> well. highly suspicious mm -hmm. yes well mm -hmm. um so the thing about broke leg borrows is that uh compasses don't work properly there um cell phones don't work there i had my drone out there um oh, maybe a month and a half ago and it was having trouble acquiring a gps signal mm -hmm. and uh radios have limited range so that's military yeah, try to explain what this place looks like. So uh, in the Lord of the Rings movie, they're going to go through this place called Amonwil, and Gimli says, uh, the dwarf, he says, uh, it's an impassable labyrinth of razor-sharp rocks. Right. And that's mm -hmm. a accurate description of this place. Yes. You know, and so it's like every rock is turned over. Um, there are these strange trenches. Well, I had a personal experience out there that was really confounding. So um, for months, I had I had heard that there was a um, there's a uh, one single four by four track that leads just scratches into this um, southern tip of this thing, and for months I was driving around in my rig looking for it. Finally found it, and um, this scratch sort of led to an area with these unusual pools that were filling up these depressions, um, and it looked like some people had camped there. And um, what I found, and the weird thing was that out here, when you put a road in a wilderness area, you're looking to do some type of uh, resource extraction, whether it be, uh, you know, you're mining or you're doing, you know, logging or something like that. There are no resources in Brooklyn mm. boroughs that anyone can access. Like there's no sawed down trees or anything like that. The strangest thing was that I found uh, some spent uh, bullet casings and uh, they were 5.56 NATO rounds. Um, which is the same thing that uh, people will use in an AR-15. Mm -hmm. That in and of itself is not unusual. You know, guys will go out in the woods and they'll shoot at stuff and have fun with it. The thing that was mysterious was that I found uh, machine gun links. And so when I was in the military, I carried a M249 squad automatic weapon, which is a belt-fed machine gun. And um, this is a weapon that civilians are not allowed to carry. It's an automatic weapon, obviously a weapon of war. And the fact that there were uh, belt links, um, you know, machine gun belt links, um, and it looked like they were firing in all directions, which is another kind of a strange thing. Now, these were old casings and hard to really do any kind of real tracking related to what had happened there. But so that was kind of a mysterious thing. Um, but I, uh, so like I said, I was out there doing some exploring and I wanted to fly the drone and take a look at some of these areas. Mm. And I parked my rig uh, and walked maybe 150 feet into the Broke Leg Barrows. Mm. 
you know, moss on the trees and strange rock formations. And there was a trench. So the lava had flown, flowed through there, created a lava tube cave, and that lava tube cave had collapsed. And so it formed this long, maybe 150 foot long trench, jagged rocks. And I flew the drone up and down it a couple of times. Now imagine this is a north-south trench. Mm -hmm. And so I'm an extremely experienced outdoor uh, land navigator, know what I'm doing. And so I had flown the drone there, checked it out, understood the area, walked to the northern tip of it, made a right turn and started heading west deeper into Broke Leg Barrows, into this really strange landscape. And um, and then I had this experience, and I think the only way to really kind of describe it, it was a temporal and spatial displacement. Yeah. So that's, that's very fascinating. Yeah. So I um, did that right hand turn, you know, headed west and walked for probably two, 250 yards. Right. And I got to another trench and I said, oh, this is really interesting. I'm going to fly the drone down this one as well. And I was flying the drone and looking around. And after about five minutes of being in that new spot, I realized that I was back where I had started at the southern end of the first trench that I had started at. <clears throat> so basically, I was 110 degrees off of where of my direction that I thought I was at and 250 yards diagonally away from where I thought I was. Now, you have to understand for a person like me who's been land navigating for over 30 years and it's when someone gets lost in the woods, I'm the kind of person they call to find them. Yeah. To be completely turned around and not even aware of that I was at a place that I was already at. When you do this kind of land navigation in wilderness areas, there's a whole string of things that you're doing in the back of your mind. Like you're tracking your pace count. You're keeping a sense of where the sun is. You're looking for landmarks. Uh, and then you've got your own sort of internal navigational sense that you're relying on. Mm. There's a number Which of things I don't have. So I'd be calling <laughs> you. Yeah. I don't even have it driving with it on my car. So, yeah. Come get us, James. <laughs> yeah. And so, so, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, so the, and I was completely bamboozled, like unbelievably, like never in 30 years had I been so wrong about where I was in a wilderness area. And to me, um, that was uh, like, there's a first for everything, but man, uh, and the, the thing that really freaked me out was that I was in a place where I had already been and I didn't recognize it. <clears throat> that is mm, for, a, you know, if you're a search and rescue person, when that happens to you, like you take note of it, right? Yeah, you do. So you can imagine somebody who doesn't have the training that you have. Mm -hmm you know, as to how they would handle it. I could see getting yeah. lost um, being a regular thing out there. So I've done a lot of research. The When um, Christopher went missing out there, that was before I had moved down. And so I went through a lot of the records of what had happened during that search. Cause like this, this, there's a lot of things that don't make sense to me here. Mm -hmm. And the thing that was um really interesting is that some of the searchers who had gone through there had photographed Bigfoot footprints in that area. Hmm. And so um, there's photographic evidence of Bigfoot. We've had many reports in the store of Bigfoot or Sasquatch encounters in that area. Um, we've even had reports of the Klickitat ape cat in that area. Right. And if you were a cryptid, uh, 
and you could hide out in broke leg burrows and no one would find you the hunters in the area refuse to go in there because it's okay, such no a kidding. navigational mess yes, and, and people have gone missing and you know needed to be rescued mm. so broke leg borrows to me is uh one a, a very strange place are you guys still with me my screen just did something funny over here yeah we're fine we're with you okay yeah yeah um and and so like i said this is so this area is maybe 20 minutes away from my store right and uh, it's just one of those incredibly strange and mysterious places here in the gorge you know in fact there is an area just north of broke leg Barrows called the south, uh, south prairie and normally it's like this beautiful uh forest with a meadow um and in the springtime a lake appears there and literally you can canoe or kayak right through the forest like right past the tree trunks you know they're underwater four or five feet and then every year on one day that lake drains entirely and disappears and no one knows why. Wow. So very strange and unusual place. It's mm -hmm. in a section of the wilderness uh, called Indian heaven. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's from the uh, original translation of what the uh, first peoples called it. Right. And when you think about heaven, like you can think, Oh, it's a, it's a nice, beautiful place. Or you can think about it as a place where people contact the spirit realms and um, based on my personal experiences out there, uh, that seems to be a pretty accurate description. It sounds like it. Um, Except for the lake for me. Yeah, I know. Um, you know why? Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. No, because I know Lake Erie draws itself back and it's almost flip and dry because we had a, a cottage there in the family and there are other places in the world where it does happen and it's bizarre, but I think there's a scientific reason for that, whether it's influenced by some frequency from somewhere else is another story. If they're all that way, because the frequency is off mm -hmm. in yeah. the, I mean, in the entire planet, mm -hmm. it'd be interesting to see how many of these places do it at the same time time oh, yeah. would be really interesting to do that type of research mm. where like why is this happening here when is it happening no and then move on and see what else is yeah. doing that and mm. what else is around it as well you know are we dealing with ocean currents are we dealing with um types of shifts in in the land it, if you have ice quakes, all that oh, stuff lines, lines, yeah. it all falls in so yeah. i'm just we'll wondering yeah, Allison says sounds maybe like another dimension. I agree with that. When you were lost, that felt like a time slip. Yeah, um, yeah. How many people are? If it is dimensional, how many people are just? Well, four one one will tell you how many people are missing in national parks. That's that's somewhere where your place is. It is like that. It reminds me of that. Yeah, you, you know? know, I've thought about it a lot, and well, it was disconcerting to you know find myself in that situation yeah um i thought uh so if there was something that didn't want me to go deeper into broke leg borrows like mm -hmm. something that was saying okay we're gonna bounce you back to start it was perhaps the most benevolent way that it could have been done right like right. it was not scary uh other mm -hmm. than weird and no harm came to me. In fact, I traveled through some of the most dangerous landscape you can possibly imagine and was entirely unharmed. 
It was exactly. almost like my memory of travel was seamlessly edited. So I had no knowledge of where I had, you know, the, the time. <laughs> so, in between let, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this then, because of the high, the high sightings of extraterrestrials and UFOs, you think maybe you could have been, because it sounds like missing time. Like maybe you got snagged and put back with no, no memory because that's pretty common. Yeah. It, you know, I, I don't have a lot of answers for you. Uh, I can right. I can report on my experience and, you know, sort of conjecture yeah. some theories. Yes. We certainly have UFO um, activity out here. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with a place called ESETI Ranch. Uh, ESETI stands for Enlightened Contact with Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And okay. Jim Gilliland has a piece of property just south of Mount Adams. And for decades, people yes. have come out. Uh, to East SETI Ranch, yes, and they've watched UFOs fly around Mount Adams all night. I've and heard people of come it. from all over the world. Many come as skeptics, and they leave believers. Right. And so that's just one of the components of what kind of a place we're talking about, where there's consistent um, experiences that multiple people have right. with things that don't fit into channel normal of reality as we currently understand it. Forbidden history, grisly ghosts, monstrous cryptids, and harrowing folklore dominate Japan's history and culture. Mysterious Japan is a bi-weekly podcast presenting these spine-chilling horror stories, urban legends, and unbelievable histories in a campfire story format. Many of these tales have never been presented in English before. Our journey takes place where dark history and supernatural folklore collide. Mysterious Japan is produced, written, and translated by recognized Japan expert, Dr. Heath Havey. Season one relates the unbelievable legends and ghost stories from the so-called suicide forest. Listen to Mysterious Japan for free on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at themysteriousjapan.com and be transported by unbelievable stories where the lines between reality and folklore become blurred in the shadowlands of Japan. Once again, that's TheMysteriousJapan.com. Hmm. Um, so I have a theory that there's a reason why uh, we way over-index on people reporting unusual experiences here in the gorge. And it has to do with the really astonishing story of how the gorge was created. Um, I was going to say, does geology have anything to do with it? So. <laughs> My theory Get out is of my yeah. head, James. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so the river itself has been flowing here by some estimates for 45 million years. So just on a pure like energetic movement level to have, you know, uh, energy flowing in one direction for that mm -hmm. long, you're creating this really powerful current. Um, and, you know, you can talk about it in sort of an esoteric sense, you know, like yes. as above, so below. Mm -hmm. But you can also yes. talk about it in a real physical sense because there are uh, 14 dams on the Columbia River, hydroelectric dams, and they produce 44% of all of the hydroelectric power in the United States. So that's, that's literally the energy of the river is being transformed into an energy that we know how to utilize. And it's getting sent away from the gorge on these, you know, massive uh, transmission lines, right? So mm. we've got transmission lines that crisscross the gorge. Um, and so that's contributing to like a strange electromagnetic environment. So we've got this river 
flowing for millions of years. Then they think about 16 million years ago, a giant fissure opened in the earth at the Idaho-Washington border. It's mm -hmm. 90 miles long and enormous volumes of lava start spewing out of this thing, you know, like Kilauea volcano type lava, but Kilauea times 10,000. Hmm. And so um, they estimate that um, I mean, trillions of gallons of this lava flowed out of here and it flowed down the what used to be a gradual Columbia River Valley and filled it up and flowed 300 miles all the way to the ocean. They believe that if um, in some places that lava is three miles thick, if mm -hmm. you spread it out over the entire United States, it would bury the lower 48 states in 60 feet of lava. Is it solid though? So it came across in 300 different flows over a mm -hmm. span of a couple of million years. And what happened was, so you imagine that lava flows and as it's cooling, all of the magnetic material in it orients towards the earth's magnetic north, right? So like there's iron particles and things like that. They all uh, mm -hmm. orient and then it cools and hardens and it's locked in place. Well, right. the next flow that comes is maybe a couple thousand, 50,000, hundred thousand years later, it flows. The earth's north pole, magnetic north pole has moved. And so when it cools, its magnetic material is oriented towards a new north. And so we've got this layer cake of rock. Mm -hmm. In the gorge, there are places where you can see, you know, 20, 30, 40 of these layers. And some of them are, you know, 20 feet tall, some of them are 100 feet tall. But each one of those layers has got a unique magnetic signature. They're all different. And when you look at the government navigation maps, there are bright pink letters that say warning your compass readings will be off in the Columbia River Gorge. Uh, and in part, it's to do with all of this crazy magnetic stuff. The magnetics, going. yes. So then, two million years ago, the Cascade Mountains started rising up. And so they took all those layers and they started bending it like this, right? And so we've got um, the whole gorge is riddled with those magnetic bands now buckled. Mm -hmm. So it's creating even more complexity and nuance in our electromagnetic environment. And then finally, 15,000 years ago, we had the greatest floods on Earth. So uh, some of your listeners may be familiar with the Younger Dryas floods mm -hmm. or the Ice Age floods, as they're sometimes right. known. Right. What the scientists say is that there was a giant lake uh, that formed in Missoula, Montana. and was held back by a glacial dam. That dam broke in a single day, and that lake drained out and created a flood that was the largest flood of all time. Mm -hmm. It was as though you had taken all of the rivers on earth and combined them and then multiplied it times 10. That wow. was just on the history channel. Yeah. Yeah. So Eastern Washington was inundated. Uh, and in parts of Eastern Washington, the waters they believe were three, 400 feet deep. Then they all got held back at a place called Volula Gap, which is the Eastern edge of the gorge. And then, uh, it started flowing down the gorge. And in the gorge, the depth of the water was over a thousand feet. Crazy. And so it's flowing at 60 to 70 miles an hour. It's carrying icebergs and rocks and trees, and it completely scours the gorge clean. So any topsoil, any living material, anything that was there before was, you know, sort of flushed down into the ocean. And what that did was it took all of those magnetic layers and it exposed them. And so they're now just sitting there like this gigantic live wire. And when you come to the gorge um, and you spend any amount of time here, if you can uh, stop moving, 
and calm your mind for just a minute, you can feel the sense of movement here. Like there is a flow of energy, which is palpable. And so what I think we have here is this really unusual electromagnetic environment. You've got the mm. magnetic layers, they're exposed, they're buckled, they're turned. There's great number of uh, tectonic stresses going on. Yeah, yeah. And um, so there was a, a professor, Dr. Michael Persinger. He was up at Lord Tide University in Ontario. And he did some really interesting studies in the 80s and 90s. He created a thing, uh, they call it the God helmet. It's basically a, a motorcycle helmet that they put solenoids on and they could manipulate magnetic fields around a person's mm -hmm. brain. Right. And he was able to induce, just by manipulating these magnetic fields, a whole range of unusual perceptions. The most common one was that he was able to create the perception of a sensed presence. Like you would feel that there was another conscious entity. That's really big in the field right now. I, yeah. I owned one for years and years. So incredible stuff, right? Yes, and it is. amongst the things that he could do was turn on a sense, a feeling of great fear and turn yes. off. Yes. Um, so on the one hand, you could say, okay, so he's creating um, perceptions that are local to a specific mind, right? Right. Like, okay. He's creating a hallucination for you. Right, right, um, right, right. I don't think that's, that's what's exactly what's happening. Um, so think about like a radio station and you've got your radio station maybe tuned to a classical music station mm -hmm. and then you slightly adjust the tuning knob and now you hear rock and roll or and you right. slightly adjust it again and now you hear talk radio. Yes. So those signals are present in your environment. They're already existing. Mm -hmm. It's just you're tuned to classical music. And by simply tweaking the receiving apparatus a little bit, now you're perceiving things that have always been there, but weren't a part of your normal receiving setting. Right. And so I think what happens is when you come to the gorge, you get mixed up in this crazy electromagnetic environment. There may be influences from the sun as it's in influencing our magnetosphere. There may be even things that are going on on a personal physical level like did you eat bananas and you've got an extraordinary amount of potassium in your system on that day right. whatever it is yes and so the combination of all those things is adjusting people's perceptive channel and they're switching to you could call it another dimension you could call it a stimulus that is not normally part of your normal perception mm -hmm. but whatever's happening you're getting switched over mm -hmm. and the reason why i think that is because we have multiple reports where there are co-witnesses. In one case, we had six river rafting guides all perceive a UFO that was there for 45 minutes. Hmm. Um, and so, like, you can't have a localized um, hallucination in one person's brain if there are multiple witnesses. Right. We've got Correct. photographs of glowing orbs. We've got photographs of UFOs. And so something that's local to your own brain is not going to be captured on film. Right. And so I think that has a that's to me my my leading theory about why we've got so many reports of unusual experiences here in the gorge. Right. No, I I you know what I, I lent well to that theory because we ourselves are energy beings. Any way you look at it, we are made up of energy, we're made up of water, we we can be affected by external frequencies. Everything's about frequency and vibration. You know, so if we're in an area with high levels of EMF, we're going to react one way or 
another. Mm-hmm. Um, and the high levels of EMF can make you hallucinate to start with. <laughs> so Or it can make you read better. Right? Yeah. And you got the perfect storm, <laughs> and then you just happen to walk right into it. Um, I, yeah, I can only imagine, you know, mm-hmm. what people would be experiencing and how they would come out of it um, yeah. or not come out of it. Oh, yeah. Know? Some get physically physically yeah. ill and then sure. high emfs are also a great way of communicating with the other side without someone else interfering and tapping mm. your line so to speak mm. which leads to my question do does aircraft have issues flying over that area so we have um uh not that i'm aware of maybe in the way you're thinking uh so you can imagine with all of the so it's an important transportation corridor here. Like you know, there's um, barge traffic on the river. There's two rail lines at either side yeah. of the river. There's two highways at either side of the river. We've got all these hydroelectric dams. So strategically, from a military perspective, the gorge is an incredibly important um, strategic location. And mm-hmm. so we see military choppers flying up and down the gorge all the time. But we've also had reports of... Um, highly advanced aircraft is the best way to say it. Uh, black choppers that don't make any sound, mm-hmm. you know, strange vehicles that seem like they don't seem extraterrestrial, but they seem like, man, oh, they're scary. at the far edge of whatever humans can do. Yeah. Then we have uh, reports of, you know, classic UFOs, tic-tac-shaped UFOs, triangular-shaped UFOs, um, things of that nature. I don't know of any stories specifically that relate to aircraft having trouble flying here. But well, aircraft, know. like passenger aircraft, not necessarily yeah. military. Do you, like, would passenger aircraft have trouble with their radio signals as they cross over? Yeah, would I think the military is a bit more sophisticated. Military is way too sophisticated to be hit yeah. by something yeah. like that. And Possibly. all landing strips land on EMF tablets. Well, so um, The only thing I can tell you about aircraft, there's a really famous story. So Kenneth Arnold, 1947, June. Uh, he's flying and he uh, by Mount Rainier, so just north of us, and he sees uh, nine flying saucers. This is the first flying saucer report that was popularized in the United States. Mm-hmm. They, they fly from north of Mount Rainier, past Mount Rainier, and past where he's flying over the Cascades in a private plane. And they actually, he sees them heading towards Mount Adams. And so literally that is the first major recognized ufo sighting in the united states which sort of kicked off the whole ufo craze um in the u.s and so while i don't know of any stories of them interfering with commercial aircraft Mm -hmm. we do know that there are many reports of commercial aircraft Mm -hmm. private aircraft seeing things in the sky that uh can't be explained by human technology yeah Right. Because I, I have to wonder with that kind of frequency over there, how they, as as advanced as passenger aircraft is, it's still quite sensitive mm-hmm. yeah. to frequency and energy. So it doesn't make, to me, it doesn't make sense. And of course, those would be private reports with their own, you know, with their own flight companies. It wouldn't be something that would be out there. I was just curious if you, if you heard it, anything. Mm-hmm. I think that's something they'd keep under wraps. It probably would draw military attention if it was having trouble and they might try to adjust that because they don't want to be known for it kind of thing. But 
That's interesting because I want to make sure that next time I come over, I don't fly that way. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. <laughs> bye bye <laughs> bubbles. Know? I know. Yeah, like uh -huh. you know, that, that's a Seattle's a, one of my beloved cities. Um, <laughs> I don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to land on the Can other get... side where I could see all the lights. <laughs> um, uh, Keith Van Allen, hi. <laughs> Welcome to the show and thank you for contributing. Um, Keith says maybe Sasquatch uses the magnetic rocks like a focus. Okay, focus so you're, you're doing a totally different thing than I put up. So, okay, we'll go with this one. <laughs> oh, I saw. Oh, sorry. Oh, I saw it highlighted on this side. I didn't yeah, look that yeah. right. I'm no, sorry. Well, no, it, just, it reminds me to put them up. So it's okay. We, we yep. read that one. Okay. Um, this one was first. Okay. I will read that from this side then. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Sasquatch have been reported to be able to cloud men's minds and native American shamans too. I've had it happen to me, a similar thing. Wow. Mm -hmm. We've had several reports of folks that come in and have reported a missing time. And, and I should say, just like I had a spatial and temporal, um, displacement. So they knew that they were one place and then suddenly they found themselves back by their car and having no memory of how they got there. Right. Um, there's an area, uh, again, probably 20 minutes from the house, uh, from the store, I should say. Um, on the maps, it's called the Monte Cristo Natural Preserve. Uh, the locals call it Monster Mountain because there have been so many Sasquatch sightings. And so uh -huh. this is just north of our store. It's along the um, White Salmon River, which is flows off the white salmon glacier on mount adams and in this area we've had many many reports of um vocalizations of sasquatch mm -hmm. uh rock throwing there have been um twisted trees uh actual sightings a number of things and one of the individuals in fact people have brought in uh hair samples um into the interesting story. yeah okay. but we've had a, several stories from that very area which is it's sort of adjacent to brooklyn borrows of um, people going, having that uh, time missing, uh, spatial and temporal displacement. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think you know that's kind of one of those things that. Well, there's a lot of reports. Once it happened to me, I was kind of excited. Sasquatch. I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> I, I know. I I think it's fantastic though that there's so many people having these experiences and able to to. Uh, to me, the vocalization is just fascinating. So to have so many people be able to comment on that, but the orbs as well have been known mm -hmm. to be associated around Sasquatch sightings, like areas mm -hmm. yeah. where there have been Sasquatch sightings, sometimes seen both at once. Yeah. So what's really interesting um, is that uh, there's an area maybe three miles from the store. Uh, it's called uh, Spring Creek Hatchery. A lot of people launch their uh, like windsurfing uh, boards from this area, and it's right along the river. And it's at the base of Underwood Mountain. And... Uh, a couple of years ago, before we even started our reporting program, I was taking pictures there of a strange light beam that was coming down into the river. And as I was reviewing them afterwards, there's this blue glowing orb. Mm. Um, it's not a lens flare for a number of different reasons. We've talked to a couple of different photographic experts about it. Um, and there it is. It's not a reflection of someone's headlight. It's not swamp gas. It's very clear. It's this, you know, very unique shape. It's got mm. sort of circular, not perfectly. It's got information inside of it. There's film grain in it. And then we also have earlier in this year, uh, someone sent us a picture of a tic-tac-shaped UFO hovering over the top of Underwood Mountain. So you've got the base mm. of the river with a glowing orb, top with uh, a UFO. And then on Underwood Mountain itself, there are a number of vineyards 
um, this is sort of wine country in Washington state out here. An uh, individual came into the store and described how they saw two red glowing orbs above their property. They descended uh, down to ground level. At that point, according to the report, they turned into a pair of eyes and started approaching. And uh, the person then said, uh, like a switch was thrown, I started to experience extreme fear. And so I ran into the house and grabbed my shotgun. And by the time they came out, uh, the phenomenon had ended. Now, to me, that was a really uh, interesting report. Um, you know, what Dr. Persinger talked about was being able to do that same thing. And the reason why is that the human brain has got magnetite crystals. Uh, they're located uh, primarily in the hippocampus and the temporal lobes. These are associated with these kind of experiences. And of course, magnetite is magnetically uh, responsive. And, um, and that's what we think he was manipulating. Well, mm -hmm. he was able to turn on that feeling of fear and turn it back off. And Underwood Mountain is one of those places where the layers of uh, magnetic material have been buckled and folded into a mountain. And so mm -hmm. they're literally in a straight line from the base of the mountain where you're seeing orbs to the middle where you're having these experiences to the top where you're seeing UFOs, uh, an incredible array of phenomenon in a very tightly confined um, yeah. geographic area. <clears throat> and it so the whole idea of these orbs in that same area, just a mile down the road from there, we had reports of Sasquatch throwing rocks over people's shoulders while they were fishing. And yeah, that's go. common. So yeah. in my mind, they're connected. Like there is oh, um, some so. kind of they're they're related phenomenon and it's mm -hmm. worth studying them together mm -hmm. um i would agree because it, it just seems to be something that is commonly um voiced you know yeah. people are seeing a mix of of everything but then some people will say well we see you know ufos and we see orbs around them as well so i mean i just think you know, it's just, it's just, they're just a natural phenomenon in their own right. But, you know, some people get funky with them. So it's <laughs> nice when you have something else to yeah. attribute to them. So when you have a Sasquatch sighting literally a mile down the road and you see these things floating around, some people have seen them floating around literally while they have the sighting, it's like, yeah. at, you know, in the same location, which is, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's a good start. So, do you feel that activity is starting to increase in the area? You know, my um, I can only talk about the reports that we've received. And we've been right. here for two years doing the thing. And um, the reports that we receive, uh, uh, they go back in time. Um, okay. So people will, the ones that we like to investigate are the ones that are, you know, most recent. Of course, um, yes. But you know, some of these reports go back to the 1960s. And um, so this area seems to have been active for a long time. And so I really can't say with any kind of meaningful data mm -hmm. that it seems to be increasing or decreasing. My sense is that it is. Hmm. I think it has to do with um, our, the Earth's magnetic shield is weakening. Mm -hmm. uh, the pole is uh, speed of it's accelerating in its movement. And so mm -hmm. we are going through some really intense electromagnetic changes on the, on a planetary scale. Mm -hmm. And it would make sense to me that, um, more people are experiencing phenomenon as we enter into these unusual 
things that may be adjusting your internal receivers. I, I love that perception because I would have come out and said something along the lines of, um, like, I wouldn't even have thought about about that. And I love I love your um, thought process on that. It's something to really delve into. It will be for me because I I'm thinking it's heightened everywhere. If that's and if this is what's doing it, that's a really interesting thing to me because you add a lot of science behind it as well. But we're more we're a bigger population. We have technology. I mean, everybody's got one of these. So mm -hmm. I mean, for the most part, you know. So you're going to go out and you're going to record things, or you're going to, if you think you see something, you're going to take a photograph. Everything is in the palm of your hand. It makes it easy um, mm -hmm. to look for it. And people, I think, are are opening up a little bit from, I said, like, like a spiritual or psychic standpoint as well, beyond just the physical. Some of the physical they might be feeling are like, oh, wait a minute. You know, like the hair goes up in the back of your neck, the butterflies in your stomach is usually your body saying, you know, something's here. This, this is a little, but this doesn't feel right to me. And maybe that's essentially a spinoff of what you're describing. But I think people are a little bit more open-minded and let's face it, you have an entire mountain range and everything along, along it that is, has these crazy things going on. People yeah. who hike these areas or come into these areas have to have some kind of sense of, of, of what goes on with it. Like if I'm new and I've never been there, I mean, what an experience that would be yeah. like all of Washington, so like everything, you know, yeah. but if you've had one or you're, you frequent, you know, people, I mean, I'll, I'll back up people who come to your store. Are they usually experienced people who they know what they're looking for and they've done things like this? Or are they are newbies essentially? You know, it's a, it's a, there's a few people that are extremely experienced. Like one guy has seen Sasquatch dozens of times. Is the guy who brought in the hair samples. Beautiful. He's seen young ones, old ones, pregnant ones, oh. ones with blonde fur. You know, he even says the young ones have fur and the older ones have hair. Huh. He's seen ones that are 13 feet tall and, and very brambles. Um, and so for him, apparently there's a pinch point on his property and he's seen them go through many times. Uh, a few folks have come through that are actual paranormal investigators, and they're okay. always fun to talk to. Right. But the majority of folks are locals, and their stories are really underwhelming. <laughs> and, and and I think that that's a really um, – it speaks to the veracity of it. Because if you come in and you've got this grand tale about UFOs and, you know, being taken to another planet and all this kind of stuff, like, like that's a pretty involved story. And – you know, there, there could be numerous motivations for why you'd want to talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, but some of these reports we get, and um, the Clickitat Ape Cat is like my favorite because it's kind of unique to where we are. And it's sort of a pure data set, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times people will say, uh, I was driving my ATV and this giant black cat jumped across the trail and scared the crap out of me and I never saw it again. Hi. And like, that's a pretty, mon I mean, that's, it's incredible amazing but it's not like no one's trying to make a reality tv show out of it you know what i mean mm. um and so um but so a lot of the reports uh, well, there's two things going on there i think one is we are steadfast in being a safe place to report your strange experiences and surprising to me was 
this turns out to be one of the most joyful and fulfilling parts of this whole project. Right. When someone has had a really unique experience, a genuine experience that's outside of the normal everyday kind of life, they might talk about it with their family or friends and their family or friends just try to normalize it and say, oh, you really didn't see what you think you saw or laugh nervously or tell you you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you kind of get isolated and um, to have a place where you can come and to talk about these things is very cathartic for people. Um, you know, I can give you a great example and it happens to do with one of my employees uh, and the ape cat. So right. the first report we ever got, um, a guy came in the store close to closing time and he, his family and Margie, they knew each other and, and she had helped them out with something. And so it's basically kind of a, a loose friend of the family, but it still took him 45 minutes to work up the courage to tell me his story. And he was orienteering near Buck Creek, uh, four miles um, west of the store. And his compass started acting weird. Shortly thereafter, he looked up and across the creek was this enormous black cat. And uh, he said that he was sitting there looking at him calmly. It didn't seem to be spooked by him at all. It had long black fur and a long black tail. It mm-hmm. stood four to five feet tall at the shoulder. <clears throat> and so as I'm listening to this story, you know, being an experienced outdoorsman, I'm like, okay, there's a couple of things that are already ringing some bells for me. One, cougars will flee a fresh kill at the sound of a human voice. And the fact mm-hmm. that this creature had no fear of a human, unusual. Right. We do have cougars out here, but according to the wildlife professionals, there's no such thing as a black cougar. Cougars are normally tawny or tan, and when they are melanin, they go to a red color. So a black cat, very strange. Right. Four to five feet tall at the shoulder. Well, a big cougar is 24 inches at the shoulder. (laughs) Four to five feet tall is bigger than a tiger. That's the largest cat on the planet. So that's another like, okay. It's like a bit of a dire cat. Yeah. (laughs) You know. And then towards the end of it, you know, once he realized I wasn't going to make fun of him, he said, you know, James, the strangest thing was this cat had a face that looked like a monkey. And so I pressed him on it and he said, well, it had intelligent ape-like eyes and other primate features. And so, you know, for me, like, wow, this is an incredible story. Never heard anything like it. Uh, it's It's a, it's one data point. So we can't extrapolate anything from it other than, wow, that's interesting. Right. So the next day I was excited and I told my employees about it. And one of my employees is Missy. She's a gal that's as honest as the day is long. Like she feels uncomfortable playing practical jokes on her coworkers because that's kind of <laughs> like lying and that's not her game. Right. right. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I must and, be the devil. <laughs> <laughs> so as I described that's this creature sweet. to her, she started shaking, like physically shaking and clearly like, filled with emotion. And I said, Missy, what's going on? She said, James, I've seen that thing myself. And she was driving down Clickitat Canyon at dawn. Mm. And she saw this enormous black cat walking near the side of the road. She was so taken aback by it that she stopped her car and watched it. And she said that it went into a small patch of tall grass and then it seemed to disappear. And uh, she actually got out of her car and did a little bit of an investigation. So I didn't see it again. She wondered if she should tell the, there's a few homes nearby, if she should warn them that there's this giant black cat running mm. around near the property. And she thought, oh, let us think I'm crazy. 
And it's a good thing that she thought that because when she told her family, they did think she was crazy. And they told her, oh, you probably just saw a cow. So you're grown women. Do you think you able to tell the difference between a cow? Yeah, and a I have a farm next door. I pretty, I pretty damn well know what a cow looks like. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous proposition, but you got to give her family some slack because life is hard enough without giant black cats running around. Like, oh, you kind of wanna gosh, no kidding, right? But who's to say somebody didn't breed this? You know, well, like well, exotic animals. Really interesting idea, uh, and there's a a Cold War nuclear laboratory upriver that there's really good evidence that it may have escaped from there. Yeah, but and there's the probably more than one. <laughs> the thing that's remarkable is when she described it to her family, they were imagining a creature the size of a cow, right? Mm. So that's a large animal, and People so don't realize how big they are. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so with these two reports, and in my mind, they were highly credible because that well, first of guy course. was a friend of the family, and well, they know, don't have any reason story. to just come in, no. yeah, being close to you and fabricate something. Yeah. I, I like this theory though. Um, wondered if uh, things like the Jersey oh. Devil Chupacabra. Oh are actually alien animals that were somehow left here by UFOs. That could, that's a very interesting possibility. Um, and there are stories of big alien cats. Like that's a, a thing. Um, hard to find a lot of data on it. Or um, maybe but, they were here before us. Well, so a couple maybe. of data points. One is that the folks at East Eddy Ranch claim to be in contact with a number of different extraterrestrial races. One of those races happens to be a race of feline humanoids. And wow. so interesting there. Mm -hmm. um, we also have um, petroglyphs in the area. So rock art from right, right. the first people. And there are pictures of strange cats. And there is a tradition about a race of uh, underwater supernatural panther protectors. And uh, so one description that I read is that they look like a black panther with the face of a man. So very interesting um, connection there. Well, uh, maybe back in the day, Neanderthal, for example, would look very similar to. Yeah. Right. Interesting that you bring up Neanderthals because while there is no living creature that matches the description of the Klickitat ape cat, right. Um, during the Ice Age, uh, and it's said to have died, uh, died out 10,000 <laughs> years ago during the Younger Dryas extinction event, there was a creature called the Panthera atrox. It's an American lion. And mm -hmm. Its fossil record is really complete. 80 specimens were found in the La Brea Tar Pits alone down in California. It absolutely lived in Washington State during the Ice Age. And this creature was a cat that was over a thousand pounds and interestingly had the largest brain pan of any cat that had ever, or, you know, skull brain uh, cavity yeah. of any cat that had mm -hmm. ever, has ever lived and has ever been discovered in the fossil record. So some interesting connection points, you know, it might be from that, but the most, if you don't want to evoke a supernatural explanation for this, um, and again, we've had 80 reports. We've had senior law enforcement officials tell us they've seen it. A guy said that he saw it in his driveway with a kit. So a youngling, um, black cat, big cat and the little one. Uh, reports go back to 1968. So we know that that's longer than the lifespan of any, like a tiger usually is 15 years. Mm -hmm. So we think that there's a breeding population out here. Uh, we've had reports of it swimming in the river. 
Um, so a lot of <laughs> a lot of different data points from folks. No, no irony there. Cats love the water. <laughs> <laughs> so what's really crazy is that um, during World War II, everyone's familiar with the Manhattan Project where they mm -hmm. yes. to create the bomb. So yeah. Oppenheimer is down in Los Alamos uh, with the engineers designing the bomb. But in Washington State, in a place called Hanford, right along the Columbia River, they build the world's first industrial scale nuclear reactor. And basically they confiscated, kicked everyone off 600 square miles of land. It's got 90 miles of Columbia River coastline. And they started the Department of Energy, the, the organization that became the Department of Energy, their first major project was to build Hanford. And um, this place eventually became known as the Apocalypse Factory because wow. they had uh, nine nuclear reactors going there that generated enough plutonium to build 60,000 nuclear weapons. So this is one of our most important nuclear sites in the world. So here's the interesting thing. Back in the 1940s, um, the Allies are terrified the Nazis are going to unlock the secret of the atom and create the bomb. But the Nazis are also super interested in creating super soldiers and super animals. And they had actually resurrected an extinct Ice Age creature called the Aurochs, which is this gigantic hyper-aggressive bull. And they populated a forest in Poland with these things. And the Allies, you know, if you think about, you know that radiation induces mutations. So they were very concerned that the Nazis were also going to get a leg up with radiation experiments on animals. So at Hanford, they had um, they brought in a scientist to run an animal testing laboratory, a guy mm -hmm. by the name of Dr. Lauren Donaldson from the University of Washington. His only academic achievement before receiving this post was that he had created a super animal. It's called the Donaldson super trout, an animal that's still alive today. It's eight times larger and stronger than normal trout, reaches sexual maturity in half the time, can swim in salt water and fresh water, and is super survivable, right? He's the guy they put in charge of the animal testing program. Well, we win the war. He gains prominence as, you know, like this um, nuclear biologist, basically. He winds up going down to the South Pacific. He's at like Bikini Atoll and the disastrous Castle Bravo tests and that whole mess that created the Godzilla myths. Mm -hmm. He stayed in contact with Hanford. And the new guy who takes over is a guy named Bill Bear. And so Bill died in 2014, but he was in charge of the animal testing program at Hanford. Under his direction, this thing expanded. They could house a thousand large animals there at a time. Like it was a massive operation. That's there are propaganda films from the 50s that called it the Atomic Zoo. Oh, On the wow. surface, wow. they're supposed to be studying things like if a cow is exposed to radioactive fallout, can you still drink its milk? You know, stuff like that, like the kind of things that you need to know if a nuclear war happened, like what would happen Crazy. to those things, right? Yeah. Cheer food. Yeah. Food source. Yeah. So, but Bill, in three different interviews, like he does this oral history, like they closed down Hanford in the 80s once the wall came down in Berlin and the Cold War <laughs> ended. And uh, and Hanford has become like the country's biggest super fun cleanup site. Because there's not only nuclear waste, but all the chemical processes that they use to strip the plutonium out. And he describes how they were doing radiation experiments on apex predators. And so he tells the story of how they had a whole pack of alligators. And he even holds up a picture of the device they used to irradiate the alligators, 
right, with alligators in this thing. Hmm. And he tells the story of how one night, six of these irradiated experimental apex predators outsmarted the scientists, escaped their captivity, and got into the Columbia River. And so there ah. are literally experimental irradiated apex predators swimming around in the Columbia. That's crazy. It's probably more are, than just that swimming around there. Yeah. That's so crazy. they yeah. there's actually newspaper articles from the time that talk about it. This is a 100% historically verified fact. It's not even mm -hmm. like a made it's up crazy. thing. They did for just for a hand up back yeah. then. And so they had this covert army hunting team that hunted them every day for six months from July to January. They only ever caught four of them. And even today, we get reports in the store of people who are kayaking and they say they felt something tugging on their boat from underneath. Oh. We don't know exactly you know, if it's the alligators or not. But in these interviews, Bill says even into the 80s, he was getting questions from fish and wildlife professionals asking if he knew anything about alligators in the Columbia. And he just said no one hung up. And then in the interview, he laughs about it. Like it was hilarious that he lied to them. Right. Well, right. so you got to ask yourself, what in the hell are they doing with alligators? Like we don't milk alligators. We don't use alligators for food. Like no. why would they be experimenting on apex predators uh, with radiation at Hanford? Actually in Louisiana, they eat alligator. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Just saying, sure. we know that because Joe... Right in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you can find it in Canada too in certain places. So, a little gross on my like I'm just disgusted by it. Sorry, guys. So but. yeah, so so this is how many years later? So what's interesting is the US government since 1958 has used dolphins to guard our most sensitive nuclear sites. In fact, dolphins guard a quarter of the US nuclear stockpile. And the reason why is many nuclear facilities are on waterways and the biggest threat would be like a Soviet scuba diver coming in at night, <coughs> excuse me, surveilling or sabotaging your facility. And you'd think, oh, well, why don't they just use sonar? Well, sonar can't tell the difference between a sea lion, a tuna and a Soviet scuba diver. So they realized they could train dolphins to distinguish, to tell the difference. And they would rig like this sort of like harpoon-like dart on the uh, nose of the dolphin. <coughs> Excuse me. Of course. And then they train the dolphin to swim and ram that dart into the flesh of the diver. <laughs> a balloon would inflate, bring the diver to the surface. The Navy would come and scoop them up. And then they would get the intelligence. You know, like a diver at the bottom of the ocean doesn't do you any good. You kind of want to know who it was and what they were doing there. Right. Excuse me. <clears throat> so... Um, you look at Hanford, and it is our most critical site, a site that you'd want to protect above all others. In right. fact, there were four Nike missile launch sites, and Nike missile is a nuclear-tipped surface-to-air missile that's designed to take out Soviet bombers by detonating a nuclear explosion over the U.S. civilian population in order to take out bombers. The idea being it's better to bomb our own population than to let these bombers take out Hanford. Like, that's how serious they were. And Hanford's got 90 miles river coastline. And how the heck do you guard that? You can't bring in dolphins because dolphins <clears> don't <throat> operate in salt water. And mm. the Columbia River is freshwater. And so if you're a cold warrior and you're really serious about this problem, you're going to ask yourself one question. What is the world's best river hunter? Turns out it's a jaguar. 
So jaguars oh. can hold their breath for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. They can swim a kilometer in the open ocean. They can eat underwater. Pound mm -hmm. for pound, they're the strongest of the big cats, and they can actually kill alligators with a single bite to the back of the head. I oh, swear, man. I swear, they're part fish. Like that's yeah. just not normal. Oh, right. They have but, night um, vision that's six yeah. times better than a human being, and they always instinctively drag their prey to shore. So if you're looking for a base animal to create a sentinel creature out of, jaguar is going to be at the top of your list. What we think yeah, they're beautiful cats. Yeah. So what we think happened was they were experimenting and training jaguars at Hanford to guard the site. Just like the alligators, these creatures outsmarted the scientists and escaped into the wilderness. That's and so once sad. they were out, they couldn't recapture them. And if you look at where Hanford is in relationship to the Columbia River Gorge, if you go north, east, or south from Hanford, you just head deeper into barren desert. If you mm -hmm. head west to Klickitat County, you get all this amazing habitat and food sources and everything else. And so the fact that these creatures are unafraid of humans, like if you were training a jaguar, you wouldn't want it to instantly attack humans. In fact, you'd want it to be desensitized to a human presence because it's got to work with its trainers, right? Mm -hmm. And only when certain commands were given would it attack or would it do its, you know, hunting thing. And of the 80 reports that we've had, none of them are hostile encounters. No, they're like so circus animals. Yeah. So it's, yeah. if you're looking for, like I said, a non-supernatural explanation as to why we've got giant black cats with strange looking faces uh, running around Clickitat County, mm -hmm. um, this idea that they escaped from the animal testing laboratories at Hanford turns out to be a pretty rational explanation. Absolutely. It's not far-fetched. Have they not learned anything from Jurassic Park? What is wrong with everyone? Like, what are you doing? Like, what is wrong with people? But if, but if you think about it, wasn't wasn't Hitler trying to do this for the like a, for the like super race of uh, super soldiers? Absolutely. Yeah. With and women so, and gorillas and yeah. You go down the rabbit hole in this one. So at yes. the end of World War II, we were ready to prosecute all the Nazis. Then the Russians started scooping up Nazi scientists, and we're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, we don't want all that. Uh, high-powered uh, brains to head over to the Soviet Union. To the Americans, yeah. Operation Paperclip. Right. And we started bringing scientists over to the U.S., and they became deeply enmeshed in the, you know, um, the military-industrial complex. Right. And in fact, like, oh, and that Stranger Things show, uh, Eleven's mom gets wrapped up into, um, you know, the the majestic program, which is, right. you know, where they were doing uh, experiments. Yeah, MK Ultra. MK Ultra, exactly. And so uh, at Hanford, they literally were testing, they would remove the filters on the radiation stacks and expose the human population uh, surrounding Hanford to radiation and never tell them. And then they would covertly monitor their health records for years <laughs> and this all came out in the 80s like it was a there's a whole downwinder kind of thing right. but those kind of experiments were absolutely controlled by uh or influenced by the nazi presence in uh in our military industrial complex right well and the sign of the times the whole age from what you're saying it was just a few short years after World War exactly right. and we have had reports of cattle mutilations in the area for decades and in fact just some uh just a few years ago right. and bill bear actually talks about how they would send out teams to go 
uh, basically take samples from local uh, farmers and ranchers. And so the whole idea of, you know, men in black and cattle mutilations and all those kind of things like Hanford was documented actually doing that kind of stuff. Like mm -hmm. they were sending out scientists mm -hmm. to take samples of some of the glands of, you know, the reproductive glands and different thyroid and all kinds of other stuff out of cattle. Mm -hmm. And that's happening right here, just up river from the Columbia river gorge. Um, wow. And so the history of weird government stuff, like it is as real here as it could ever be anywhere in the country. And mm -hmm. Even now, so Hanford closed down in terms of nuclear weapon plutonium production years ago, but it still is the place where the National um, Pacific Northwest Laboratories are. And there is a device that was recently installed out there called the LIGO. This is uh, it's a laser interferometer gravitational observatory. And it is basically these two mile long vacuum tubes set perpendicular to each other. And it is designed to measure anomalies in the space-time continuum. I am not making this up. You can mm. go to the, the website and see it. A week after they turned this thing on and it's located on the Hanford campus, they found anomalies in the space-time continuum. So the the crazy, like some people, when I tell them the story of, you know, it's just this sort of mundane animal experimentation that escaped, they're like, you aren't going far enough, dude. Like they were manipulating time and manipulating space mm -hmm. like some people will say they pulled those creatures out of the ice age and brought them back to our time speculation can't say for sure right but, like hey come me, on philadelphia experiment oh <laughs> yeah God. i mean you're getting into like who knows we what can go on doing. yeah well what's yeah. really interesting is you look at mount adams where there's all that ufo activity and you can literally like i've climbed mount adams you can see hanford from the top of mount adams and so ah. when you talk about ufo activity existing since the 1940s here in Washington state. Well, no wonder, like there's so many uh, stories of UFOs um, actually shutting down nuclear facilities and yes, observing yes. nuclear facilities. Yes. So chicken or egg, hard to say which came first, but man, we are in the 1940s, we were creating elements on earth that never existed on earth before at Hanford. And now <laughs> the Columbia river gorge, outside of being this crazy magnetic anomaly place is also the place where you are literally toying with the fabric of reality. And if that's not a magnet for uh, intelligent creatures from other dimensions or other places to observe and figure out what the heck we're doing, like what is. I, I agree. So, yeah. Um, I agree. But, <laughs> so we're, we're going to hold that me, thought because we have to do a station we and sponsor ID. Yeah, sure. this is a job part of our of our show. We have to get paid and there's no air. I know. I know. So we'll be one quick second and we're going to get right back to that. So well, please she lied. I take up. a little bit longer than a second. I know. <laughs> what a night. You are listening to The Outer Realm with Michelle DeRoche and Amelia Pisano. Coming to you live from the beautiful city of New Orleans on 105.3 and 107.7 FM radio, as well as the Roku channel. Our guest tonight is James Shubsky. I'm hoping I'm saying that right. I love that right. name. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Shubsky. And we're discussing Columbia River Gorge and all high strangeness. And this one is a doozy. You've never heard this before unless you've seen them on air. And even then... <laughs> 
I think he's telling us a little bit more. <laughs> so, <laughs> I always have to throw that in, right? Piss off all the other people. But anyways, <laughs> if you are just tuning in, no worries. You don't want to start in the middle. You want to start at the beginning. Just stream our archives on any platform that you normally use. Remember to click like and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Simply search United Public Radio and then the Outer Realm. And don't forget to share us with your friends and family. A big, huge shout out to the wonderful people at Folgers Coffee for continuing to support us in sponsoring our show from day one. And guess what, guys? Next week, we hit episode 400. Thank you, Folgers. <laughs> our fabulous banner and promo media comes courtesy of, and I just lost it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's the first day of the week for us. <laughs> Let me start that again. Our fabulous banner and promo media comes courtesy of uh, horror illustrator Steve McGinnis. He also does commission pieces. So if you're not into the horror illustrator, but you want something done, check him out. You can find him on social media, Facebook, Instagram. He is easy to find and extremely talented. And speaking of talent, our intro and our outro is thank you to Dr. Snick, the sonic surgeon. Justin Snicker is an award-winning composer, vocalist, and musician. You can find his music on Amazon and Bandcamp and stream them on any platform that you use. And I've been letting you know the last few weeks, and don't forget him on your stories, that you can find his music when you're creating your own stories on social media. You can also find Dr. Snick on Facebook and Instagram. And Instagram is dropping clips constantly with these really cool, um, creepy videos. They're so amazing. Now to the last part and our favorite part, if you are watching us right now on Facebook, any one of our group pages, or if you're there on YouTube, give us a like right now. Subscribe, hit that <laughs> notification button so you don't miss anything right now. Don't forget to share us with your friends and family. And I'm, I'm being kind. <laughs> I have two questions when you get, when you have a chance to fit me in michelle <laughs> just yeah james what do you think <laughs> where do we fit in amelia <laughs> well i it, michelle produces so i just wait i don't want to throw things off if she has a plan so no. <laughs> well, i feel like i've been jabbering away here the whole time you're supposed uh, to that's why you're show. here you're supposed to be um, that's right okay, okay amelia we'll give you a little breathing time to get in there and then james can take it thank away thank <laughs> you so two questions two different um things completely one thing you mentioned that you weren't aware if it was there were more increasing sightings that you were getting and people coming and telling you or and that there were some were really old okay i'm i'm a medium and i'm just gonna let you know this here for uh, because i also know this from experience with michelle and joe talking <laughs> your past 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 experiences that you've heard of some of them are related to people who are present telling you. So this becomes a lineage thing. This is what they tell me in the UFO world. I think it's important to piece it together. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to give you more information. Okay. Um, the other thing, curiosity, you have all these people coming to you and telling you stories at the store. And I, I believe you were truly called for this. This was an actual calling. It, it wasn't by accident. Um, do you ever get any strange visitors like black suits, SUVs, black SUVs coming around? Do you ever get that kind of attention? Because Aliens? You're, you're really putting it <laughs> out there, 
you you really have a lot of podcasts. You you have your own channel on YouTube. I'm just curious, have you ever been approached by someone that you thought could be with the government? And or can you answer that? It's a lot of questions um, in one. Sorry. Well, it's an interesting <laughs> question. And um, so, you know, I have had uh, a lot of unusual experiences um, in my military career and search and rescue and also personally. And when, when I made the decision to um, put up a big sign and invite this strangeness into the store, you know, I have 10 families that I'm responsible for, you know, my employees and, and that type of stuff. You know, we're not a giant operation. Um, but I did feel a responsibility um, to put in some protections, right? And, um, you know, for me, there are, um, that's occurring on a vibrational level. And so um, my number one North Star from a management perspective is that we are going to create a healthy and joyful work environment. And the stores themselves are, um, they're joyful places. Uh, we have, you know, um, lovely incense burning most of the time in the store. We've got, uh, you know, beautiful things to look at. Uh, and we work very um, diligently to maintain uh, joyful interactions with each other and joyful interactions with our uh, customers. And um, to me, this is building a solid wall um, to protect these people that I care very much about and that um, who I feel responsible for. And I've invited this weirdness in, but I wanted to um, build uh, a vibrational barrier, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so we don't get a lot of um, like missing persons reports, right? And uh, that uh, those things are very real. Um, we don't get a lot of like stories about demons. We don't get a lot of stories about malevolent spirits. Um, we don't get stories about violent uh, encounters with uh, Sasquatch. And so, um, and that's not an accident. Um, that is, you know, we are putting out a very positive high vibration and um, we're inviting people to share their experiences uh, with a sense of curiosity and wonder. And so um, the, the short answer to your question is no, we haven't had um, scary folks show up. And mm -hmm. Well, they're not all scary. They're inquisitive. Yeah. We've had strange folks show up um, yeah. and people with uh, a wild eye, you know, and um, uh, but to me, like that's part of the joyful mix of it. And so, uh, and to be sure, like some of the stories are really unsettling. Um, you know, we hear about weird stuff on the regular. Um, mm -hmm. But short answer is no. But I will tell you that we've had people come in and report that they have been hiking and trying to get into an area and they've been stopped by soldiers mm -hmm. or they've been stopped by men in black SUVs, you know, wearing suits in the wilderness. Like, mm -hmm. and there are reports, there are some uh, of our customers who come in and tell us that they have... Um, they're certain that there is a some type of international underground base near Mount Adams there where dignitaries from around the world come and fly in like they have, you know, chopper yeah. flight paths that go over their property. And um, and again, I can only tell you what 
is reported to me. I it don't all any... makes sense, though. It really yeah. does. And they can explain away the military as being military exercises. And you know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I'm glad to hear everything's good. Yeah. And like I said, this thing about Christopher Zitzewitz, who went missing in Brooklyn Burrows, that's the first time I've ever really gone deep into a missing persons thing. That wasn't reported. Well, actually, it was. So what's happened is the gorge has got maybe 80,000 people who live here permanently. And we're making a lot of noise about paranormal stuff. And so I'm a recognizable character. I have got this um, vehicle that I drive around, and it's a like a Toyota FJ Cruiser, but it's got spotlights and cameras, and it's rigged up to do as soon as we hear something, we can head out and, you know, be in the wilderness and doing stuff. And so people now stop me like in the grocery store and they'll tell me their stories or at the post office or on the street or in restaurants. And so we get a lot of um, really fun reports that come in that way. And um, I had a really awesome point to make about that, but uh, it's completely escaping. <laughs> That's okay. That. Take a deep breath. That happens to us all the time. This is the outer realm. It happens all the time. <laughs> It's like Michelle. I see. I don't know what I see. I'm like, oh, squirrel, squirrel. squirrel. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Squirrel out. Um. Okay. So if we'll, we'll chitty chat, maybe it'll come back to you. So just. Oh, say, I just remembered. So yeah. Okay, so yeah. I was, I was, I was you just needed to breathe. And that's where I heard about Christopher Zitzewitz. And this act, individual was actually a member of the county council, and he had he was actually on the search, and he was the one that sort of clued me in that the they had military boots on the ground yeah. and he was expressing a story that he was, there was many suspicious points about the military presence on that particular search. Mm -hmm. And what is, what really sort of pricked my ears up was that the um, air force pararescue team showed up. So when you're in search and rescue, you are sort of, in the top 99% of wilderness professionals, like you really have to be on your game. And us search and rescue guys, <laughs> we look at the pararescue team from the Air Force as the top 99% of the top 1% of us, right? So mm -hmm. these are like the most elite search and rescue guys you're ever going to find. And, um, and so these guys show up and then there's also ground pounders. So uh, infantry troops, basically searching. And I was an infantry soldier stationed at Fort Lewis, just, yep. you know, maybe a hundred miles North of here. Mm. And we never were called out on any kind of search and rescue. No. Like that and, is a really unusual thing. And, yeah. and they don't miss an inch. They're locked no. in lock. If you, if you see it happens just for the audience to understand, even when there's a missing child in a city or a field, you'll see them locked in, in arms and move continuously together in as little space between them yeah. as possible and make sure they don't miss even a fingernail. Mm -hmm. So the thing about Zitzewitz is that um, there is no trace of him. They went out, like they did an immediate hasty search hours after he was lost. Nothing, no strap of clothing, no footprints, no anything. And he's been gone for over 10 years now. Well, he could have he slipped was... through a portal. Yeah. And so it is like, vanished from the face of the earth and they you know his his partner was shouting for him they investigate his partner because at this point they're thinking there must be foul play like he must have you know killed him and hit the body mm. nothing like that like he passed multiple uh truth tests and so like for me like that is the first 
uh, sort of dark story that I've really had any kind of, you know, firsthand experience with. Or and and that's one that you know of. Yeah. And, and to be sure, there are at least four other reports of missing persons um, uh, from Brooklyn Barrows area. And, wow. and so um, this one feels different to me, though. Like my sense is uh, after my experience of being, you know, bumped back to back to start, basically, when I was out there right. exploring the area, I really feel like um, it was a benevolent um replacement of myself and so whatever happened to christopher and i don't know um my sense is that it, it may not have been uh violent or um it's tragic for his family that they they no longer have him with them but he may have not have met a bad end um you know uh, at least that's the way i'm choosing to think about it yeah i'm wondering if you just like slipped into like again a dimensional thing maybe an abduction but you know, when you look at, at by whom yeah you what? know you look at the history of some of these things um so there's the ufo abduction phenomenon which we're all very familiar with but yes. when you look at even like the history of fey in europe yes there are many components that are really really similar um mm -hmm. there seems to be loss of time there's a reproductive element to it you know there's a um, hybrid uh, children component mm -hmm. to it. There's going into realms where you feel like you've entered into the earth or into the water or into the air. Uh, and these are also really consistent with shamanic journeys that you see in indigenous tribes all over the world, um, including here in, in the Columbia River Gorge. Um, and so there seems to be a real commonality through time and a similarity of experience, which of course is sort of translated differently in each of the different cultures where it takes place. Like you're going to impose a technological uh, explanation. If you come from, a, you know, uh, 20th century America, you're going to impose a spiritual explanation if you're in the Amazon mm -hmm. as an indigenous people. Mm -hmm. But the core elements of these stories are really, really similar. And um, we have stories out here of little people. In fact, the petroglyphs, some of the stories that I've read were created by little people, you know, these 18 inch tall. Well, oh, I was going to say I'm a little person, but I'm higher than 18 inches. <laughs> you got some petroglyphs you're hiding out on us? Yeah. I'm a little yeah. bit taller than 18 inches, no, not much. But that, but that is actually, um, I, we had another guest up from Northern Ontario, Canada area, an indigenous um, community up there. Same thing as what you're saying, little people. And um, they've got a lot of petroglyphs and things like that off the beaten path. I mean, way off the beaten path. Yeah. Th Thunder Bay area, places like that. So that seems about right down that coast. Yeah. We, so one of my employees, another one of my employees um, was driving home uh, after a late shift and it was like one o'clock in the morning and he saw a small humanoid on the side of the road, no taller than the hood of his car. Uh, hmm. Very skinny, and it had a praying mantis-like head. Huh. Um, so this is a guy that you know I worked with for years, and Tom, Tom. Um, and so he had numerous opportunities to make something up. So I, it's highly for me, it's a believable story. Um, he said that as he drove past it, his cell phone started acting crazy, like alarm started going off on it, and the console of his car went dark. 
He got hmm. 200 yards down the road and he felt dizzy and sick. And then he thought for a minute, you know, James is really going to want to know about this. Maybe I should go back and check it out. And then he thought, hell no, I'm not going back. To check <laughs> I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going back. Right. And so the next day he told me about it. Um, and, you know, I sort of went through an interview process with him. And he said, you know, what's interesting in that exact same spot uh, in the road. It's the, he lives in the desert area. Um, he had seen owls standing by the side of the road at least on five other occasions. Oh, wow. Oh, God. Tell me the fourth kind isn't real. I know. Go ahead. Tell me. It's not out that way. <laughs> yeah. So and so when I went out to investigate it, you know, um, I did find, uh, you know, there was some indistinct tracks, mm -hmm. no EMF readings that were interesting, but there were owl pellets out there. And the area was within a couple hundred yards of some high power lines. And um, so, again, like, to me, it's hard for me to wrap my head around tiny humanoids. Like, that is so out of channel normal. Um, but here I have what, in my mind, is a highly believable report, uh, right. personal right. connection, somebody I know. And, um, and the report was so outside of the realm of anything he's ever talked about in mm. the past. Um, and um, and so... Again, like we have this really incredible mishmash of stuff happening out here. My so we were driving my four wheel drivers. We call it the cryptid. It's got you know, it's just a fun thing that we do. And we were out. The whole family was out four by fouring, um, and we pulled off to let another car pass on the dirt road. And my daughter looked out the window and said, "Oh, there's a big snake out there. It's really cool." I said, "Oh, great!" And so as we drove away, she was describing the snake that was about four feet long and kind of yellowish. And it had these big frills on the side of its head that started red and they faded to yellow. And I said, wait a minute, frills on the side of its head. And she said, yeah. And you know, and she was describing an animal she had seen outside the car door window. Well, there are no frilled snakes in Washington state, in North America, in South America, in the freaking world. Yeah. And so <laughs> there's my 10 year old daughter uh, who's a total badass and goes out on investigations with me all the time, not thinking she's reporting a, a supernatural or unusual encounter, um, but she's describing an animal that science does not recognize. And um, and so it's that's to me what makes this place so wondrous, so incredibly interesting, uh, such a fun place to investigate. And right. I mean, like, what a what a gift to have sort of backward somersaulted into being a, a focal point uh, for this area and mm -hmm. all of these incredible, amazing stories, and sort of beginning to piece together some of these things. They seem related, um, and it'll be fun as the years go by to sort of try to figure out how. It's so it's so exciting that um, I, I'd like to, you know hear more I, I think we'd like to consider bringing you back and i'd love uh, to come back yeah thank you and we'd love to have you and just to keep elaborating on some of this because i know we've only touched on on some you know like there's there's a lot more with different types of paranormal activity and apparitions and mm -hmm. you know different um experiencer accounts mm -hmm. even and talking about different stories that have been relayed to you and ongoing investigations so if you're you know willing 
you know, I will email you. We will set up another time in the new year. It's hard to say that already, but oh, I know. in the new it's year. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been in the new year for the last two months. We've been setting up and, and think mm -hmm. about this because you're on this show. You have approximately 3 million live listeners. You wow. might just get that visit I was asking about. So just be aware. Keep that vibration up. Yeah, and I love it. I, when I say it, I mean government officials. I don't mean actual men. And like Tommy Lee Jones is not showing up at your house or Will Smith. Will Smith, like Jada ain't dog, letting. Though, that'd be cool. That could be a thing. <laughs> Jada ain't letting Will go anywhere yeah. lately. So I yeah. don't have to worry about that. Yeah. But Yes, we will yeah. bring him back. Absolutely. <laughs> but we're already at the top of the hour and I really, really want to thank you for joining us. It's such a pleasure. I could listen to your stories, you know, all evening and I'm just a wealth of information and I hope you and your family have a really terrific Christmas and holiday and be safe out there. Cause it sounds like you just don't know where you're going to step off or step in or, Step anywhere. <laughs> just bring snacks, just in case. Just bring snacks. Always snacks. bring snacks. Bring Always snacks just in snacks. case, especially with a child. Bring snacks. <laughs> um, so I would encourage your listeners to um, check out uh, our Facebook page because that's where we do a lot of updates. And to be honest with you, um, I'm not as good as it as I should be. <laughs> like, uh, 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 we'd like to. Well, you have a daughter; more... she can do it for you. Zoom, zoom. Yeah. It doesn't all... matter how old they are; they're more tech efficient than we are. <laughs> well, all yeah, the links so... are in the show write up. Yeah. So Margie's um, Margie's Outdoor Store on Facebook. Uh, we put up a few things on YouTube, and um, of course, our website, Margie'sOutdoorStore.com, is another great place to get information. Do you, do you ship out of out of country? Uh, you know, we don't. Um, in fact, again, like I'm lame about that kind of stuff. And so I'm just excited <laughs> okay. to share this just information. Curious because I like to shop. So I'm just curious. <laughs> Not that I'd be wearing any of that stuff, but there's other stuff in there that I'd be interested in. My stilettos don't go into the hiking mm. thing. So, yeah. But yeah. well, we're really happy that you came on the Outer Realm and shared your incredible stories with our audience. Mm -hmm. And uh, we will definitely do it again, as long as you're willing. Oh, and I'd be happy to. Thank you. Well, okay. you'll be you hearing have, for... uh, some lovely holidays yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. thank you so much. <laughs> All right, James. Thank you. I'll be in touch. <laughs> Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, guys, we have come to the end of the, well, the end of another like amazing segment. I mean, we were just flew. <laughs> How many times did I go tonight? Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. If you I can know. tell us, watch it. And if you can tell us, we'll give you. Uh, we'll send you a prize because <laughs> I know it's crazy. But wow, wow. so definitely yeah. worth uh, worth another repeat for sure. So big thank you to James Shusky for coming on the show tonight. It was just phenomenal. Big thank you to Folgers Coffee. Big thank you to. Justin Snicker and Steve McGinnis. Thank you all for tuning in. You guys in chat are incredible. Thank you. You always make it so much more fun and just keep all of that, that information coming. We love you for it. Tomorrow night, we welcome the return of Daryl Walsh, who's going to not just be discussing 
Victorian Christmas traditions, but he also does Victorian storytelling. Mm -hmm. So we thought it would be very cool. Victorians are a pretty dark bunch. I'm just saying this isn't just going to be frou-frou-y. No, remember, <laughs> table tipping, seances, oh, yeah. and the Ouija board. Oh, yeah. Let's He's not that that forget the, the macabre cards. And you don't get gifts. No, you get the storytelling. It all comes from there. I love it. So yeah. we're going to delve into a little bit of that tomorrow night and uh, have a little bit of fun. Go back in time a little bit. So be sure to tune in and thank you all for tuning in tonight. We shall see you tomorrow. Night all. <laughs>